Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hebrews 13.2. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. I'm Ryan Chase. I'm one of the elders at Emmaus Road, and we've been talking about the one another commands of the New Testament in this season. Last week, we started into the command to show hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 4.9. Hebrews 13.2 says, show hospitality to strangers. What exactly does that mean? That might conjure up pictures of uh, just opening your home as a a bed and breakfast for anybody who happens to be passing by, um, listing your home on Airbnb. What does it mean to show hospitality to strangers? Well, what's interesting is that the word for hospitality in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another, the same word as Hebrews 13, 2, where it gets translated, show hospitality to strangers. And it's uh, related to the word that shows up in Romans 12, 13 as well, and the description of elders who are to be hospitable. The Greek word is philoxenia, which is a compound word. It's made from two parts, two other words. The first word is philos, which means friend, and xenos, which means stranger. So the word for hospitality in Greek is a combination of these two words, friend, stranger friend to strangers, which is a a tying together, a uniting of things that seem to be opposites. A friend and a stranger are apparently opposites, but combined into one, somebody who is hospitable is a friend to strangers. It takes strangers, those who are formerly outside of one's own immediate family or household, and treats them like friend, like family, shows them generosity, uh, sits around the the table, shares a meal, opens up one's home to those people and brings them into community, into relationship. So that's the word for hospitality. And it gets translated simply as hospitality in places like 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another. But in Hebrews 13, 2, the translators make more explicit this idea of showing hospitality to strangers because the rest of the verse goes on to say, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, which the author probably has in mind the story in Genesis 18 when God himself appears to Abraham. Abraham looks up and there are three men standing in front of his tent. He has the sense that he is in the presence of great and noble people, whether he knows that these are, uh, that God himself is there, an angel of the Lord is there or not. It's not totally clear, but Abraham hurries off and he prepares this incredible feast from scratch, the bread from scratch, the, the, he kills one of his, uh, animals and, and roasts it right there. And he puts on this, this huge feast for these visitors and Hebrews 13 indicates, um, People have, in doing this, entertained angels completely unaware that they were even doing so. So who are the strangers then uh, who are in view in the command like show hospitality, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers? Well, I think this passage in Hebrews 13 actually echoes Jesus' words, his own teaching in Matthew 25. So right after the verse that says don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. The very next verse, verse three says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are mistreated. In Matthew 25, when Jesus is describing um, the, the judgment at the great throne 
and he's talking about the lambs and the goats, he, he says, uh, the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. There's hospitality. I was a stranger, Zenos, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So who are the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, those in prison? Jesus says, he calls them at the very end, the least of these, my brothers. So Jesus has in mind fellow Christians here, uh, those who he considers brothers. And I think Kevin DeYoung nails it when he he defines the least of these in Matthew 25 this way. He says, the least of these refers to other believers in need, specifically itinerant Christian teachers dependent on other Christians for hospitality and support. So Jesus refers to them as the least of these, my brothers, not a reference to any stranger at all in the world, but specifically to believers. Uh, Jesus also says, what you do to these, you do to me. So these are people who represent Jesus on earth. They bear his name. They speak his word. They are representatives of Jesus. And therefore, uh, the way that people treat them is how they treat Jesus. Likewise, throughout the Gospels, Jesus refers to his disciples frequently as little ones. Every time he uses that phrase, little ones, he's talking about his disciples. The least of these is the superlative form of that word, translated little ones. And finally, Matthew 25 really echoes uh, the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 10 when he sends out his disciples and he says, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, there's that word again for his disciples, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so Jesus is saying that this is how the gospel advances in the world. This is how the mission is carried out as people go forth with the gospel. They depend on the support, the hospitality, the generosity of others to assist them in that work. We see the same idea from John in 3 John 5 through 8. John writes to the church there, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. So other Christians, strangers as they are. So he calls them brothers because they're brothers in the faith, but he acknowledges that to this church, they're strangers because they didn't formerly know each other, but they're united in Christ. And he says that these brothers, strangers as they are, testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Again, they're, these are Christians, they're, they're missionaries, they're um, evangelists preaching the gospel itinerant travelers proclaiming the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, John says they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So same idea. Jesus taught. John picks it up. Uh, The author of Hebrews talks about that. 
that the church shares in the mission and hospitality is a key part of that. So this was a key feature of the first century church as itinerant gospel preachers traveled throughout the Roman Empire. What exactly does that look like today? Well, certainly it involves supporting missionaries who are going to the farthest reaches of the earth. I think a broad principle we can pull out of this is simply the realization that our homes our kitchens and pantries, our dining rooms, our guest rooms, our living rooms. These are resources that we hold with open hands for the sake of the mission of God, making and multiplying disciples. God has given us real, tangible resources, and we see all of these things as tools for furthering the kingdom, um, furthering the mission of, of multiplying disciples on earth. Hospitality is a key part of that. We see this in the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke really draws attention to this strategy that Jesus seemed to intentionally engage in where he went to house parties. He sat down at meals. It was in people's homes around the the dinner table that Jesus engaged in deep and meaningful gospel conversations with people. In Luke 5, Levi, who was the tax collector turned disciple, he threw a great feast in his house for Jesus, and the house was packed. And it was in that setting um, where the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled about the fact that Jesus was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. So it brings out this unbelief, this legalism and religiosity in the hearts of the Pharisees, and Jesus addresses that and it's all happening at a great feast in the house of Levi. In Luke 7, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And that's the setting where a woman of the city who was a sinner anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In Luke 10, Jesus is eating in Martha and Mary's house. In Luke 11, another Pharisee asks him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. In Luke 14, Jesus is eating again in another another Pharisee's house, and there he gives some teaching on how to uh, throw parties, how to be a guest at parties. He tells this parable about how the kingdom of God is like a great banquet, and the banquet banquet will be filled. We talked about that in the episode last week. So Jesus is at a dinner party teaching about banquets and feasts, describing the kingdom of God that way. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus's house to eat together. In Luke 22, Jesus is eating the Passover meal with his disciples and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And then in Luke 24, the passage where we get the name of our church, Jesus is walking with two disheartened, disillusioned disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's unpacking the scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explaining to them uh, all the things in scripture concerning himself and why it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and die. They get to Emmaus, he sits down and eats with them, and it's when they break bread that they recognize Jesus. They go and they give this report that he was known to them in the breaking of bread. That's when they recognize him. Jesus is breaking bread, eating meals, sitting around tables, uh, conversing with people. And in that context, in the everyday stuff of life, he is making and multiplying disciples. So hospitality is a key part of how we do that. Whether we are supporting Christians who are missionaries, church planters, uh, or whether we're opening our homes to those who are currently far from the kingdom of God for the sake of sharing with them the good news of Jesus. Hospitality is a key part of making and multiplying disciples.
Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at EmmausRoadSF.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected.